Welcome to Earth Matters, environmental and social justice stories, produced for 3CR Radio in Fitzroy, Victoria, and broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. This week we're hearing from people with personal experience of the impacts of nuclear testing in Australia, the Marshall Islands, and Japan. We'll start with an interview and spoken word piece with Marshallese poet and educator Kathy Jetnell Kijina. 3CR producer K.A. Garlick interviewed Kathy recently in Portland, Oregon. Kathy inspires audiences ranging from elementary school students to more than 100 world leaders at the UN Climate Summit in 2014, where she performed a poem to her daughter, Dimatafele Pena. She also helped establish and is now co-director of the Marshall Islands-based non-profit Jojikum, which empowers Marshallese youth to develop solutions to environmental issues threatening their home islands. After hearing from Kathy, we'll tune into two speeches delivered at the recent UN negotiating session on a treaty banning nuclear weapons. Hiroshima survivor Setsuko Thurlow and Kuka the Woman from South Australia, Sue Common Hasseldine. Both of these inspiring women spoke about how nuclear weapons have affected their lives and communities, adding to the rising international call for a new treaty to ban and eliminate nuclear weapons. Let's start with Kathy. Uh, my name is Kade Tedungun Kitchena. I am from the Marshall Islands. The organization that I represent is called Jojigum, which is a youth environmentalist nonprofit based in the Marshall Islands. My organization focuses on youth programs and youth leadership, and it's really all about um, promoting, um, and it's really all about kind of teaching leadership and, and, and kind of empowering our youth to own the environmental impacts and own the environmental issues that are affecting our, our islands. And so some of those environmental issues includes, one of them is majorly climate change, of course. And so that's what we focus on primarily. But we also have been involved in, uh, in organizing events for the past nuclear weapon, nuclear history day, I mean, nuclear survivors day, which is a holiday in the Marshall Islands that commemorates the legacy of nuclear testing. And so we see, of course, the environmental link. So that's in a, in a sense. But besides running the nonprofit, I'm also an artist and a writer. And so I focus a lot on creating new work, pieces of work. And that's why I was talking about Bikini, because I want to create a new poem and a new poem video that, you know, exposes that truth and kind of delves into that history. Um, because a lot of the work that I do is, is creating art and creating poetry and creating poem videos that shares stories that I find important with the rest of the world and stories that most Marshallese people will know but that the rest of the world will not know. Mm-hmm. And how did you get involved in doing the work that you do now as an artist but also using your art as a form of activism? Yeah, so I've been writing poetry since about fifth grade and it was just sort of a way to understand the world around me but it wasn't until... Um, my senior year that I began to do spoken word and I saw it as really just kind of a tool for getting stories out there and I saw the connection that you have with the audience and kind of like how accessible it is as an art form and then I began to and then I was involved in a program called Poetry for the People at UC Berkeley and that poetry program really taught me how to use poetry for activism how to speak to larger issues you know how to use your poetry to create change and and kind of share these stories that not many other people know. Mm. And so then when I moved back home to the Marshall Islands, 
you know, I saw that not a lot of my family members were really understanding the poems that I wrote, you know, that were long pieces. But when I performed it, they got it. Mm. And that's when I, you know, YouTube was like big back then. And that's when I started thinking, you know, why don't I put this into a video form? And so I just happened to put some videos on YouTube through a partnership with some friends of mine in London uh, called Studio Revolt. And that's when I really began to see the power of poem videos and putting poetry out there and using it for, yeah, using it again as a vehicle for sharing these stories. Yeah, awesome. The term I was really explaining is that they don't understand that the bikini swimsuit, the name for the bikini, comes from Bikini Atoll, our islands, which mm-hmm. is which is the name of the island that the U.S. Uh, tested nuclear weapons on and so when the swimsuit was first designed it was designed during the u.s nuclear weapons testing program in the marshals and the french designers saw it and named the bikini swimsuit after our island because of the fact that it has an explosive effect on men supposedly that's what he said and um so what the bikini does is it is it it not only exposes the the woman's it exposes the woman's body and then it distracts you know whoever it distracts people from this traumatic history of new of nuclear testing in the Marshall Islands so people no longer know that bikini is actually a Marshallese word instead they only know it as a swimsuit you know and so that in itself is an act of erasure and it's a, it's an act of violence also. What is the current situation now? Because we were talking about the effects of what's happened with the women and, and reproduction. Mm-hmm. Can you talk mm-hmm. a little bit about what's happening now? And Well, um, honestly, what I was referencing is um, it's an older study. It's a study that uh, a, I think he's a researcher. His name is Glenn Alcalay. Mm-hmm. And um, he happened to come to a nuclear conference that we just heard the first nuclear conference we hosted in the marshals for the nuclear survivors day and he shared that he had done a study on how women's reproductive systems was affected by the nuclear testing and it was really stark like how many more mis how many miscarriages and birth defects like wrote it was like a sharp rise you know he showed a graph that happened directly as a link to the nuclear testing. Mm. And so that's what I wanted to link. I wanted to link the bikini, this you know, this swimsuit using women's bodies to mask the trauma of these women who had to give birth to this trauma. Mm. You know? So mm. I wanted to kind of connect those two together and see if I can connect it in some other way as well. Sure. Yeah. Um, can you talk a little bit about the conference that's just happened? Has it just happened? In... Yeah, it yeah. was in nuclear... Um, so it's the first time. So every year we sell the Marshall Islands celebrates. Well, you know, commemorates the Nuclear Survivors Day March first, and usually it's a small celebration. This is the first time where we brought um, scholars and researchers and experts in the field of specifically Marshallese, you know, nuclear history to the Marshall Islands to share what they know and for us to start to begin to really look at this as an issue that isn't just something from the past, isn't just a memory, but it's something that we could, you know, actively um, tackle, you know, actively look for solutions for, because most of our people, honestly, have given up on it. You know, Mm -hmm. most people I've talked to, at least, have given up on it as an issue. Like, it's we're just tired, you know, no one has recognized it, nothing much has changed. Yes. So, yeah, you know, we... 
So it was really inspiring, actually, and empowering to be able to be at this conference and see, you know, mm. um, uh, all of these experts coming together to try to help us. And so that's how that's how I found out about the study initially. And so, sure. yeah. On the day I was born and took my first breath Yeah, a poem that you've memorized. Yeah, Yeah, it's right. This one's a really nice, simple one. It's called History Project, and it's basically the poem that I wrote. I wrote this while I was attending Mills College in California, and it was written basically because I was tired of meeting a bunch of people and trying to explain the nuclear history, and and the poem just basically sums it up. You know how I came across it and experience of doing a project, and then you know just just my way of basically getting the history out there. So. at 15, I decided to do my history on my history project on nuclear testing in the Marshall Islands. Time to learn my history, I decide. I weave through books after articles after websites, all on how the U.S. once used my island home for nuclear testing. I sift through political jargon. Tables of nuclear weapons with names like Operation Bravo, Crossroads, and Ivy. Quotes from generals like, 90,000 people are out there. Who cares? I'm not mad at all, really. I already knew all of this. I glance at a photograph of a boy, peeled skin, arms, legs suspended, a puppet, next to a lab coat lost in his clipboard. I read first-hand accounts of what we call jelly babies. Tiny beings with no bones, skin, red tomatoes, the miscarriages gone, unspoken, the broken translations. I never told my husband. I thought it was my fault. I thought there must be something wrong inside of me. I flip through snapshots of, Mar- of American Marines and nurses branded white with bloated grins, sucking beers and tossing beach balls along our shores. And my islander ancestors cross-legged before a general, listening to his fairy tale about how it's for the good of mankind to hand over our islands, let them blast radioactive energy into lazy-limbed coconut trees, into sagging breadfruit trees, into busy fishes that sparkle like new sun into coral reefs brilliant as an aurora borealis woven beneath a glassy sea. God will thank you, they told us. Yeah, as if God himself ordained those powdered flakes to drift onto our skin, our hair, our eyes to seep into our bones. We mistook radioactive fallout for snow. God will thank you, they told us, as if God's just been waiting for my people to vomit, vomit, vomit all of humanity's sins onto impeccable white shores gleaming like the cross burned into our open, scarred palms. At one point in my research, I stumble along a photograph of goats tied to American ships, bored and munching on tubs of grass. At the bottom, a caption read, Goats and pigs were left on naval ships as test subjects. Thousands of letters flew in from America protesting animal abuse. At 15, I want megatons of TNT, radioactive energy in a fancy degree, anything and everything I could ever need to send ripples of death through people who put goats before human beings so their skin can shrivel beneath the glare of hospital room lights three generations later as they watch their mother, their auntie, their cousin's life drip across that same black screen, knots of knuckles tied to steel beds, cold and absent of any breath. But I'm only, but I'm only 15. So I finish my project. Graph my people's death by cancer on flowcharts in 3D. Glue stick my ancestors' voice onto a poster board I bought from Office Max. Staple tables screaming the millions of dollars they stuffed into our mouths generation after generation. 
and at the top I spray painted in bold, stenciled yellow for the good of mankind and entered into a school district-wide competition called History Day. My parents were proud, and so was my teacher. And when the three balding white judges finally came around to my project, one of them looked at it and said, Yeah, but it wasn't really for the good of mankind, though. Was it? And I lost. I did the project in 15 and then I wrote it when I was in my undergrad. Um, it, originally the poem was just about like it, it, it sort of began like it, it was it ended at the goats yeah and that was it and then the people who were my workshop group in my because I did it at that poetry for the people program they were like you know we need to see your anger and I, I didn't really want to go there with the anger and then it ended up being that I, I ended the poem with me losing. And I've had a few people be like, that's a weird way to end the poem. Why did you do it like that? And I was like, because we're still losing. We still haven't won. You know, yeah. it still hasn't worked out. We, they just threw out our case again in mm. the International Court of Justice. So, yeah. And so that that was, that's like, a, it was a hard poem to write. But um, yeah. I think it was, it was, it was good. It was good for me to reflect on that experience of doing research. And it's also really a basis for so much of my work is like constantly doing, you know what I just said when I was like, I need to do my research. Like yeah. it's constantly doing research and then writing poetry from that research. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is there a website that anyone can go to for more information? What is happening currently in the Marshall Islands or to follow or to um, contact follow you or follow Follow your poetry, yeah. If you want yep. to find out about what uh, the Marshall Islands Journal is, our most you know consistent form of news is our news, uh, our print media from the Marshall Islands. So you can just Google that. My website is kathyjetnokitchener.com. So I'm constantly trying to create new works, and especially this year, I I quit my teaching job and I'm only writing and performing, and I'm just trying to basically create as much as I can. Mm. And um, my book also, I'm trying to s- spread news on my book because my book just got published in February. It's my first collection. And it's the first collection of poetry from a Marshallese published outside of the Marshall Islands. Oh, wow. Congratulations. And just, yeah, not even just a book of poetry. It's like the first one that's like published by a Marshallese, you know, to mm. be out there. And this is uh, poems from a Marshallese, yeah. Marshallese daughter? Yeah, so it's called Yip Jeldok, Poems from a Marshallese Daughter. So Yip Jeldok is a Marshallese saying. And it's it's basically what we say when a girl is born because it's it basically means um, a basket facing the speaker because the idea is that when a girl is born she brings fortune to her family so it's one of my favorite proverbs and the, it's a poem that ties together the entire collection is the idea of women as baskets and then the idea of the ocean as a basket and kind of tying it all together. That was Kathy Jetnil Kijiner being interviewed by 3CR producer K.A. Garlic in Oregon in the US. You can find her work and order her book at her website, which is all of the W's dot Kathy Jetnilkijina.com, which is K-A-T-H-Y-J-E-T-N-I-L-K-I-J-I-N-E-R.com. You're listening to Earth Matters, produced on Durable Land for 3CR Radio in Fitzroy, Victoria, and broadcast all across these stolen lands we call Australia on the Community Radio Network. Let's tune in now to the recent week of negotiations for a treaty to ban and eliminate nuclear weapons at the United Nations. 
This negotiating conference has come about in the wake of increased international attention on the devastating humanitarian consequences of nuclear weapons. A civil society campaign led by ICANN, the International Campaign to Abolish Nuclear Weapons, has helped bring the voice of survivors of nuclear war and nuclear testing to the centre of the debate, where they should be. Setsuko Thurlow survived the bombing of Hiroshima as a child and told her story to the 132 governments assembled at the UN for the negotiating conference in late March. Madam President and delegates, I am honoured to be given this opportunity as a survivor from Hiroshima to speak at this historic occasion. Already 72 years have passed since my beloved hometown was utterly destroyed by one atomic bomb. Those of us who survived became convinced that no human beings should ever have to experience the inhumanity and unspeakable suffering of nuclear weapons. And we Hibaksha have worked tirelessly for decades for the total elimination of those devices of mass murder, cross and cross-generational radioactive violence. We made a vow to our loved ones that their death will not be in vain. By now, about 250,000 people have perished in Hiroshima alone. Many people whose dream was nuclear weapon abolition in their lifetime. Whenever I remember Hiroshima, the first image that comes to my mind is my four-year-old nephew who was transformed into an unrecognizable, blackened, swollen, melted chunk of flesh who kept begging for water in a faint voice until his death released him from agony. This little boy's image has come to represent in my mind all the innocent children of the world, threatened as they are, at this very moment by nuclear weapons. Your task this week, and again over three weeks in June and July, is to establish a clear new international standard to declare in no uncertain terms that nuclear weapons are illegitimate, immoral, and illegal. I am not naive. I know that some nations will dismiss this instrument. They will cling to their misguided belief that they are somehow 
entitled to possess these life-destroying weapons with which threaten us all. I especially condemn the Japanese government's inability to fully commit to these negotiations. Indeed, yesterday morning, the Japanese government official speech deepened Hibakusha's feeling of being continuously betrayed and abandoned by their own country. They claim to be playing a vital role in nuclear disarmament by bringing foreign dignitaries to Hiroshima with the hope that they will learn the reality of nuclear catastrophe. But these are empty, evasive actions as they continue to take shelter under the United States nuclear umbrella. Indeed, they should take, uh, instead, they should take independent position which responds to the will of Japanese people. For those of you delegates who are genuinely serious about disarmament, I want you to feel the presence of not only the future generations who, who will benefit from your negotiations to ban nuclear weapons, but to feel also the spirit of the dead witnesses from Hiroshima and Nagasaki. That was a portion of the speech given by Hiroshima survivor Setsuko Thurlow at the first week of negotiations for a treaty banning nuclear weapons in late March. After Setsuko, Gugutha woman from South Australia, Sue Coleman Hasseldine, told her story. She travelled all the way from Sejuna to bring a perspective of nuclear test survivors to the United Nations, while the Australian government shamefully boycotted the conference altogether. Thank you, Madam President. My name is Sue Coleman Hasseldine. I was born in 1951 on Kniba Mission. I was a small child when the British and Australian governments tested nuclear weapons in the South Australian desert near my birthplace. For over a decade, full nuclear explosions and hundreds of experiments dispersed plutonium and other weapons materials, contaminating almost all of Australia. Aboriginal people were still living close to the test sites and were told nothing about radiation. Some communities were so contaminated that most people developed acute radiation sickness. High rates of cancer were eventually documented in the 16,000 test workers, but no studies were done on Aboriginal people and others living in areas of fallout, many of whom were even more highly exposed. High rates of cancer and chronic illness haunt my family and our wider community. My small town of Sejuna is being called the cancer capital of Australia. I worry about animals and plants, which are also harmed by radiation, 
They can't speak for themselves and are ignored and left to die. Today, the Australian and South Australian governments are again proposing new nuclear waste dumps for South Australia, as if having been poisoned once, it's somehow okay for us and our lands to be radioactively sacrificed again. The language and rationale being used today is very similar to that of the 1950s. Desolate, unused lands, being used in the national interest. We won't accept this, not for us, not for the broader community. We know from bitter experience that nuclear materials and weapons can never be safe. Aboriginal people have the oldest living culture on the planet and have cared for these lands continuously. Despite attempts to annihilate, assimilate and suppress us, we remain committed to looking after our people, cultural knowledge, lands and waters. Though we live in remote Australia, we now know that everywhere they have been used worldwide, nuclear weapons have devastated people and their lands. Together we need to connect the past, present and future and work towards a treaty to ban all nuclear weapons so there will be no new victims under a mushroom cloud. A nuclear ban treaty is also an opportunity to assist countries to make amends to victims of nuclear weapons. The treaty should acknowledge the permanent damage done to people, land and culture across generations and particularly for Indigenous people worldwide. It should require countries to address the needs of impacted people. I'm speaking to you today in the hope that by working together, life on Earth can continue into a safe, nuclear-free future. A nuclear weapons ban treaty is a crucial step on the path to that future becoming a reality as it must. I know that the future is not ours. It will forever belong to the next generation. Thank you for listening to me. The negotiations will continue in June and July with the possibility of a treaty outlawing nuclear weapons being finalised this year. That was Cook of the Woman, Sue Coleman-Hasseldine, a powerful voice in the global movement for a nuclear-free future. Before Sue, we heard a portion of the speech from Hiroshima survivor Setsuko Thurlow, calling on all governments to make a strong and effective treaty. Earlier in the show, we heard K.A. Garlick interview Kathy Jetnil Kijina, a young poet, educator and artist from the Marshall Islands. She performed her piece, History Project, which documents her teenage discovery of her people's nuclear history. You can find her work and new book of poems at her website, kathyjetnilkijina.com. This is Earth Matters, produced on Dharawal Country for 3CR Radio in Melbourne and broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. We'd like to thank the good people at the Community Broadcasting Foundation for their financial support and the folks at the Community Radio Network for their work getting this program out to you, our listeners. My name is Jem Rommelt, and you can get in touch with the show by emailing earthmatters3cr at gmail.com. That's with three the number. Or you can find our page on Facebook. It's called Earth Matters. If you missed part of this show or you'd like to listen again, you can find the podcast on the 3CR website, which is 3cr.org.au. The music you've heard on this show is from the Sydney band Catgut and Bombs Aren't Cool by Social Uplift. Thanks for listening and tune in again next week for another episode of Earth Matters. This is a test. This is only a test. Can you tell me please how we got into this mess? This is a test. This is only a test. Can you tell me please how we got into this mess? Man.
musicians, engineers, and politicians. Take psychopathic expeditions into the land of ammunition. Global Intifada, bringing you current affairs through revolutionary and protest music from around the world. Every Thursday afternoon from 5 till 6 on 3CR. Because music is our bomb. <laughs> 